missed the heart and the meaning of it all and kind of gotten it all wrong. Um, that's pretty much the story of my life. It happens to me often. It's happened to me since birth, like the time, um, the first time I was headed off to the dentist as a kid, and my mom wanted me to be unafraid from this experience. And she told me about this amazing chair that I could ride in at the dentist that moved up and down and all around. It's like a spaceship chair, she told me, which was the way to my heart because I was a little obsessed with Star Wars, you know, like you do, of course. And so the next day, my mom called me to go, it's time to go to the dentist. And I came out of my room in full space costume <laughs> with a helmet on and a cape and a lightsaber, which is the only way to go to the dentist. You don't want that drill coming too near you. Um, I missed the story so incredibly hard. And ever since then, I've just kind of been living in half fantasy story all the time. Um, this may seem like a picture from Vacation Bible School last week, but it's actually Hudson and me going to the dentist together. That's <laughs> what this picture is. So sometimes we don't quite catch the heart of a story, right? And I've loved in this series, Small Story, Big Story, about getting the chance to hear perhaps uh, the heart of Scripture stories in new ways. And in this series, we've been looking at, in fresh ways at some of the seminal stories in our Scripture library to find how these small stories might point us to the big story of God's love for us and for all people, and maybe even find the heart of our own story in that big story as well. And the story that we're engaging with this week is one that I missed when I've heard it before. It's the story of Esther. It's this little novella that's tucked into the Hebrew writings in our scripture library. And though Esther is a central story in Jewish culture, even today, I wasn't very familiar with it. Um, and so my basic childhood, like Veggie Tales understanding of this story of the book of Esther, was the story of this ethnically Jewish queen of the Persian Empire, this beautiful, exquisite Esther, who used her privilege and proximity to power for good to rescue the imperiled Jewish people. That was my understanding of this story. And certainly in that telling, there's a lot for us to learn. Uh, they're not all of us are exquisite queens. Um, all of you are, but you know, not everybody is. Um, though we're not Esther, we do have, I do have privilege and proximity and power that is important that I leverage for good, especially for those in peril around me. And that is true. But this time when I looked at this story, uh, with fresh eyes, I realized that I'd missed so much complexity and context in this. Uh, I'd fundamentally misunderstood where the power lay and how it was used. And see, in this story, Esther was not an all-powerful queen. She was, in many ways, more like a pawn, like many were in those days, and especially the women in those days. She was a woman and also an orphan in a minority ethnic group. And so Esther was caught up and caught beneath and imperiled by the very same culture and patriarchal ethnocentric power system in which she resided. And so she stood at the intersections of identities like, like female and Jew and orphan and Persian and queen. At the intersection of all of those things, sometimes it could feel a little overwhelming. Yet at that very same intersection, she also found her vocation, the place where she had a chance to do good and to save the Persian Jews around her. And as I read this story, I found in Esther's complexity, this little novella might just have some helpful things to say for the complexity of our time. And so in the midst of this more challenging story than I imagined, I found Queen Esther's questions and the questions that emerged from the text to be like our questions. And when we seem far from the levers of power, what can we do? When we turn on the news and the needs of the world are so great and so many and so important and so constant, how can we help? 
And when the world seems unjust and arbitrary, where do we find hope? And on and on the questions come. These are the questions that I wake up to each day. Right after I wake up to questions like, did Beyonce drop a secret album last night? Or what did my kid just put on my face? Those are the questions I actually wake up to in the morning, but then these questions emerge, these important questions too. So Esther has real questions that resonate with us still, and so I'm glad that we have a chance to hear a little bit of the story of Esther together today. Uh, The story is found in our library of scripture in a book called Esther, which is fitting. It's this historical novella that's set in 5th century Persia in the capital city of Susa. And the Jewish people live there because, as we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Israel had been conquered by Babylon, and many people were carried into exile to live in Babylon. And then the Persian Empire came and conquered the Babylonian Empire and sent some of the people back to Israel to be a colony of Persia, but others remained behind. And though they were ethnically Jewish, they became part of the Persian society. But from the perspective of a person like Esther, Babylon, Persia, it was the same power, just a different name. And so the story begins not with Esther, but at the seat of power with the king of Persia, Ahasuerus, most likely the king Xerxes, as he was known in Greek. And so Xerxes was, at this day, the most powerful person in the world, but not necessarily the best or the wisest. Those things don't always go together, believe it or not. But he was, he was pure, unchecked power, a, a despot who exercised complete control over the many who found themselves swept up in his vast empire. And so the story opens, and he is throwing a lavish, like seriously lavish party. And the scripture goes into like exquisite detail about this. And so it says, in the third year of Xerxes' reign, he gave a banquet for all his officials and ministers where he displayed the great wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and pomp of his majesty for many days 180 days in all. And so this is a 180-day party. <laughs> it was no fire festival. There was like real stuff there. Um, it was, you know, open bar, unlimited salad and breadsticks. It was epic, this party was. In the midst of all their carb loading, and he's surrounded by this entourage. It's a little inebriated. And he summons his queen, the story says, to come and display her beauty, is what the euphemism says. The queen, Vishti, refuses refuses this. And the advisors whisper into the king's ear, you cannot let this stand. The queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands, and there will be no end to disrespect and discord. And these small, insecure, but unlimitedly powerful men decide that Vishti will no longer be queen, just like that. And then they get Xerxes to make this royal pronouncement across all the people ruled by his empire in all the languages and cultures, saying this, that all the women will respect their husbands from least to greatest, and every man should be ruler of his own household, the royal decree goes out. And it's almost comical to read this um, after a 180-day party that this is the decree that comes out. It'd be comical if it were not the fact that this is the, what power has pronounced oftentimes over the generations about who's in charge and often sealed it with the royal seal too. These are the kinds of pronouncements that shape our lives and our culture sometimes. And just know that sometimes when we look back into the power structure, it's a little ugly. But the ugliness of it is what I think in many ways part of what this text is illuminating. It seems like this ugly power rules 
But as we sang, there is a God who changes everything. There is a rule more powerful still. And so there are pronouncements that are made, whether they come from kings or from cultures or from churches, but they cannot change the profound truth about Esther and about you and about our world. There's no law or pronouncement that can touch your sacred worth, that you are a beloved child of God no matter your gender, your orientation, your nationality, your race, your ethnicity, whatever. Your sacred worth, your, that you are worthy of respect and rights and self-determination, that you are a person of dignity who is beloved and has a profound purpose. These things are deeper and truer than anyone who rules the land at any time, no matter what. Because you are deeply loved by the God who created you, who formed you and knows you and likes you and loves you in the depth of your spirit and the truth of who you are. And over all this, we have the story that God's love wins and will win. But this was the land and the world that Esther lived in, and she lived fully in it. She had a Hebrew name still, Hadassah, but she went by her Persian name, Esther, which was derived from Ishtar, the queen god of the Mesopotamian pantheon. She was raised as an orphan, like I said, by her uncle Mordecai, whose name derived from Marduk, the king god of Mesopotamia. And so this was the world that Esther lived fully in, in this power structure. So the story goes on and says that after removing Queen Vishti, Xerxes began an audition for a queen that would last four years. And if you came and auditioned and you didn't make the cut, you'd end up in the harem as consolation, I guess. So Esther got in line, but she did not reveal her Jewish ethnicity and identity as she got in line. She was a survivor, after all, and she knew how to make it in the world. And after four years, she was the one that was chosen to be queen. And though it was quite an elevation for her, she had not made it, as we said. The queen was, in many ways, just another pawn in this structure, like everyone. And so it says, she did not go into the king again unless she was summoned by name. This was the way the world worked. And so in Queen Esther, as we see her story and her navigating these halls of power, I think of the women in our world throughout the generations and others of various genders and identities who faced prejudice and obstacle and injustice, who worked 10 times harder to get half as far in our world, but they did it and they're still doing it. And we are so grateful for the path that they've paved and are paving and the change that they're making in our world, even as they do it all. As Ginger Rogers said of dancing with Fred Astaire, of course, that she did all the same moves in the same steps. It's just that she had to do it in high heels, dancing backwards the whole time. And so like them and like Ginger Rogers, Queen Esther was navigating this difficult road, a difficult balance, one that we all wrestle with in different ways and some more acutely. As we try to stay true to who we are, and survive in a difficult world. Uh, say both and to pragmatism and idealism. Esther was navigating all of that, and she knows, you know, like a great softball player knows, that you can't swing at every pitch that comes your way. You have to wait for yours. Wait for the one that's in the sweet spot and navigate this road. And so Jesus said it this way to his disciples and the followers as he sent them out into the world to seek justice and peace as they went. He said, it's a tough world out there. I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, is Jesus' instructions. And I love those two images for how to move in the world. You know, there's the, the dove that lands gently and appropriately on the branch where it stands, gentle and peaceful. 
But we also have the image, the invitation, to be like the serpent that waits and waits, not threshing about at every opportunity, but waiting for just the right moment to strike, and to strike efficiently and accurately and powerfully. And I know we're all like a little freaked out by snakes at this point, so sorry about that, (laughs) about bringing that up. We go through this world with that gentleness, but we also carry a readiness and an attentiveness that when the time is right, to strike right to the heart of it all, to stand up, to speak out, to walk out, whatever is needed, but to seize our time with courage and conviction and creativity with the, the crack of the softball bat when the right pitch comes. And that time would come for Esther. So, uh, moving away from like the snake and dove thing, there's this simple question that it asks of us. How do we know when it's our time, when it's our moment? And I would love to say simply, that's easy, just listen to God. Um, and really, if God speaks, you should listen to that. That's always rule number one. But here is something so interesting about the story of Esther. In this book, God never speaks. Actually, God is never mentioned in the book, never appears, never is prayed to even. It's a book where God doesn't seem to be a character, which makes Esther a really strange book to have in the Bible, right? Even in Harry Potter, the one who must not be named is talked about a lot as the one who must not be named, like shows up everywhere. But here, there's just radio silence, which makes it odd, but also makes it seem a little bit more like real life sometimes. Because there are times when divinity breaks through like a shaft of light through a cloud. And there are often other times when things are quieter, when we sense God in a sense of abiding peace, or in that harmonious diversity of nature, that magnetic pull, as Crystal described, that bends the moral arc of humanity toward greater openness and interdependence and justice and love. And other times it's quiet. Or maybe we hear a true resonant voice through a friend or a mentor, through a, a story in our scripture library, or through the beauty of creation. And though God might not speak audibly, God is speaking and stirring in our world in many ways. Sometimes we feel the tug of God that's stirring our hearts to compassion for a neighbor or for a coworker, Or we feel this tug of God through this deep disturbance in our soul for the injustice and inhumanity that we see around us in our world. Like when we see the recent violence against trans women of color right here in our communities or the suffering of children and families seeking asylum that are suffering in detention centers and camps right here in our state. We open the news and we, our hearts open like a flood. Our hearts and our souls and our spirits are stirred by something bigger than us because we know deeply that this is not the way that things are supposed to be. And we know this because even though God might not be audible, we know deeply who God is and who we are to be and the worth and the value of our neighbor. We know in those whispers, the, that divine whispering and stirring, that soul stirring, those things are just God reminding us of what we already know. And it was this for Esther. As the story continued, God didn't speak, but in her soul, she knew what God might be calling her to do. So as the story continues, one of the king's Xerxes' advisors gets offended by a Jew who would not bow down to his power and had the king issue a decree that all the Jews were to be killed And Esther was deeply stirred and disturbed. Uh, But she was also deeply in danger in this world. As a queen, she couldn't just go before the king. We saw what happened to Vishti. 
And she couldn't reveal her Jewish identity because we saw what the advisors were making happen. But her soul was stirred. And so she reached out to her uncle Mordecai. And she talked to him about what to do. And as they talked, he said something interesting. He said, if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. Which I, I think, although God isn't mentioned specifically, that Mordecai knows something, that God is at work in this world, and that God is a good God who lifts the oppressed and loves the vulnerable and is at work in all and through all, and that if this is not Esther's work to do right now, that God is at work and will continue to work for good through others, that it's not up to Esther in every moment, it's not up to you in every moment to save the world. You're not Captain Marvel, you're not Beyonce. <laughs> but Mordecai continues, and here's, here's the most powerful vo- verse in this story. Thanks. He says, but perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. And that was, for Esther, the stirring of God. Perhaps this is yours to do. Perhaps this, perhaps you are here for such a time as this. And she was, because often at the intersection of your identity and your history, of your story and your struggle and your strength, who we are in the depth of our spirit and the truth of who we are intersects with who God is and what our world needs. And at that intersection, we find our purpose and our vocation, what we are here for at such a time as this. Not everything is ours to do, but something is. You are here in this community, in this time, in this generation, for such a time as this. Not in your own strength, but to take that whisper that God is whispering to your soul and help make it a reality. In your home, in your family, in your friend circle, in your workplace, in your city, in your church, in our world, to help make be what ought to be, what must be, what will be. So what is yours to do? For Esther, it was going to King Xerxes, gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent, imperiling herself, but going to plead the case of the Jewish people. And she did. And King Xerxes relented and even turned against the advisor who persecuted the Jews, and the Persian Jews were rescued. The task was hers to do, and she did it. But even then, she did not do it alone. God was with her, and her community was with her as well. Before Esther went before the king, she visited the Jewish encampment, and they stood there with her in solidarity, and they fasted with her as she went before the king. And in their solidarity, they gave her the strength to say with courage, if I perish, I perish, but this is mine to do. And that's the strength that we find in community. As we stand in solidarity together like the Jewish community, both here in this community and in our friendships with all of those throughout the world who are at work for peace and justice and life and liberation and love, we each do what is ours to do, but in some way we do it together. And together, much can be done. So in the story of Esther and Xerxes, the life of the Jewish people was protected And it even flourished in this place where it seemed impossible given the powers of this world, but life was set free and God's love wins. 
So John Wesley, who's the founder of the Methodist movement in whose stream we stand here at Open, had this beautiful rule of life about how we were to live and to be, and he talked about it, about how to do good in this world, about what is ours to do. And he said it this way, you know, what, what are we to do? Well, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Do all the good you can. I love that. It's such a high calling because there's so much good we can do, and there's so much more that I can be doing. But I love also that he said, do all the good you can, because there is so much to do, but we cannot do it all. Uh, Maybe not for a season or for a time of Sabbath or for self-care. There's always the balance of these goods of of doing good in our world and balancing the good of being present with our family and with our friends or with ourselves. There is good that we cannot do. There is good that is not ours to do. But here's the beauty of the diverse, beloved community that God is working through. When we do the good that is ours to do and stand in community and support and solidarity with others doing the same in themselves, when we all each of us, in our beautiful diversity of life and love and experience and expertise, each do the good that is ours to do. Together, so much good gets done. Our hearts together, multiplied by the community and by the God who is at work, even if unseen, so much good is done. There's more to do, of course, but much good is done. And so just in this community, I could go through each seat and each person here in this place. There are parents who are working to raise their children in goodness and openness and love, spouses and partners who are doing good for and by each other, teachers who are pursuing the flourishing of their students in goodness and love. There are nurses and doctors and counselors and social workers, artists and artisans, business people who are helping the people of this city and community flourish and life break forth. And so much more. I think of those in the community who are at work with and advocating for asylum seekers crossing at the border. There are those in this community raising support and volunteering with the asylum seekers who are traveling through Dallas and our sister church, Oaklawn United Methodist Church. People in this community who are coaching a soccer team of refugee kids and those that are showing up to cheer them on. There are many here who are working for LGBT inclusion and rights in our world and especially in our faith communities. There are those working for racial reconciliation and protection of black bodies in our world. There are those in our community who are, who are caring for kids in the foster system, those who are caring for and mentoring incarcerated adults and kids, there are those who work with Denton County Friends of the Family, working to care for and respond to and prevent intimate partner violence and sexual assault and to love and uplift those like Esther who've been caught up in the brokenness of this world. And I could go on and on here because this is the beauty of God's kind of community at work in our world. There is so much good being done. And when we stand in support and solidarity of each other together and do the good that we can do, there is much good that God is multiplying. And just in this place, in this community open, there's so much good that you are doing right here. 
So we seek to be a place that all people can come, no matter their doubts or questions, where we come from or who we love, even in the chaotic seasons of life, as we say, to be a community where God's love is lifted high, where the worth of all is cherished, and the door to seeking is wide open to find a community that stands with you and support and solidarity and love. This place has so much good that is ours to do, and you are doing it together. There is much to do, yes. There is so much more to do in our world. Even in this world in which, like Esther, we may not be near many levers of power, but there is much that is ours to do. And the power of this community, the power of a God who is at work before us and through us and for us and with us, there is so much good that we can do in all the ways we can, for as many as we can. And so perhaps it is for such a time as this that we are here and that we are here together. You, us, all of us and beyond these walls, as we stand at the intersection of our identities, at the intersection of who we are, of who our God is, what our neighbors need, and who they are, right here, right now, Esther reminds us that there is a big story that we are invited to join. So may we not miss the heart of it. May we have the courage of Esther to act as we can for good. Because together, we are here for such a time as this. May God bring life, liberation, love, good from our time. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this reminder that who we are matters. God, that we are loved by you and that we are invited to love as we've been loved. Got to open doors, got to open arms, open hearts. Got to you and to each other. God, there's so much in our world. God, but you have us here to do the good we can. So give us a chance to do that this week. As we seek you, help us hear that stirring clearly. Give us the courage, like Esther, to do what is ours to do. And give us the opportunity to stand in support and solidarity and strength and compassion for our neighbors and for all around us who are doing the same. God, thank you for the opportunity to do good together in you and in each other. We pray this in your name.